Welcome to the 3 and D podcast. We are so glad to join y'all after what has been a very exciting week, and we're going to, you know, certainly talk about that. Back with me is uh, the the world famous Justin Lewis. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm good, man. I, I hate I had to miss last week, but I'm done with my uh, master's classes for the semester until uh, about January 22nd. So I am relieved to not have to worry about that for about a month. Well, Justin, I will definitely tell you this. Uh, best of luck on your master's pursuit. I hope that uh, uh, that that is something that goes smoothly and, and ends well for you. But uh, but uh, hey, it's been two weeks since we've talked, but there is a lot of fun stuff to talk about. You know, it's it's amazing when you compare this to last year when we were starting to see the you know the, the cracks in the structure that you know led to you know the overwhelming changes that happened to the franchise, but, you know, di- things a year later are definitely looking up and we'll get into that in a second. Um, obviously, you know, with the three and D podcast now on the Grizzly Bear Blues Network, we certainly want to let you know where to find all of us at. Uh, you can follow me, Sean Coleman at stats SAC. That's at S T A T S S A C. You can follow Justin at J underscore timber fake underscore. And you can follow the pod at three and D pod. And obviously, um, you can also follow SBN Grizzlies, uh, the Grizzly Bear Blues um, on Instagram, Twitter, you know, wherever uh, you may be able to uh, enjoy the content. And obviously for our podcast, Apple, um, Stitcher, things such as that. Certainly want to make sure that we have a lot of availability to, to get our con- content out there for y'all to enjoy. But speaking of enjoyment, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. This may have been the most enjoyable week of Grizzlies basketball that, that I have seen in quite a while. The Grizzlies went three and four. Yeah, they beat the Warriors, they beat the Wizards, and they beat the Suns. You know, the Suns are a fringe playoff team. The other two are probably lottery picks. But they also played very competitively against the Milwaukee Bucks. And the thing about it is, is that it's, you know, as we've said, it's not about wins and losses this year. It's about seeing progression. And I think that you are clearly seeing that. Justin, your takeaway from this week, do do you feel it's a week where we should put a lot of emphasis on the success? And what stood out to you as as a clear indication that this team and this, you know, roster franchise even is progressing? Well, um, I know last year it was just hard to watch JB as a coach, um, his, his failure to make adjustments, um, some of the decisions that he made in rotations and, and those kind of deals throughout the entire year were extremely frustrating. And so with a new coach this year, who's never had, you know, NBA head coaching experience, um, we were in to see if he would be able to grow as a coach in his first year. And I believe that he is showing that early on. We talked about his rotations and his minutes restrictions and how strict he was about making sure, you know, jaw was coming out at this time in the fourth quarter, just so he didn't get too many minutes. But now he has done a, a great job of rolling with the five guys that have been playing the best in that game. And he's doing that consistently. Um, no matter who it is that night, he he has no problem. If Jaron needs to be on the bench and, and Jonas is in and Brandon's in, then he has no problem doing that. Um, one of the things that was, I guess, a, a stone, a stepping stone for him that he's going to have to um, learn from is the Milwaukee game. Now, nobody walked into that game expecting to win. It's why they sat 
um, Brandon and Jaw that night rather than against the Wizards because they were not expecting a, a W. But there's still growth and losses. And he, it, we, I believe we might have had a lead going into the fourth quarter, um, and he left the subs in a little too long going into the fourth quarter, giving Milwaukee all the momentum back. Um, he, he didn't bring the guys back in to stop the bleeding. So that's either a, a coaching moment that he has to learn from, or do we not know the purpose of the season? You know, the, it's the front office saying, hey, we don't want to win too many games. Um, it, I, you know, that's the part we don't really know about. But if I'm looking at it from a coaching standpoint, that was a moment where, hey, well, you've got to cut the bleeding and you didn't. But also in that game, uh, they were switching the pick and rolls with Jaron every single time, and they they could not get the ball to him um, in the post on a on a smaller player. Part of that is because Giannis was the guy that was switching off, and it's hard to throw a pass over him. But a good coach would teach immediately when that switch happens, you swing the ball to a wing that has the angle to feed the ball in to Jaron with the mismatch. And we probably went five or six possessions where um, – we had to switch. We couldn't get Jaron the ball. And then coach called a timeout. And the first play out of the timeout, the switch happened. They swung the ball, ball over to Kyle Anderson. He made the feed into the post and we scored a bucket. So it tells me that he is watching the game. He's paying attention. He's making adjustments in game um, and that he's, he's growing in that area. So that, that's my takeaway is that our coach, along with these other young players, our young coach is also growing. I think that's an excellent Excellent point, and, and and I really that 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 it really excites me because it, it, the reason why it's so important to see the um the progression of Jenkins as much as it is his roster is that as wonderful as Jackson Jr. and Morant and Clark have been this year, you have to have that trust in the coach to consistently put them in positions to maximize their talent, and he's doing that. Overall, Jenkins is continuing to make this um, to make our team better and better offensively. And this week showed that the Grizzlies can consistently be an above average offensive team. I mean, seriously, they legitimately could be, you know, in a year or two, a top ten offensive team. And I mean, just just look at the, some of the numbers. You know, uh, they scored 110 versus the Warriors, 115 versus the Suns, um, 114 versus um, the Bucks, and 128 versus the Wizards. Now, I know in general the NBA scoring is something that's consistently going up, but when's the last time you heard the Grizzlies? You know, being able to score four straight games at 110, and not only that, but win three out of four of them. That's why when people say it's really, you know, it's not that valuable to compare to teams, to Grizzlies teams of the past, that's the point they're trying to make. But if we've changed the method of success here in Memphis, we've if we've changed the way that we're going to, you know, try to win, doing it so quickly, showing that we can be effective with that new philosophy so quickly is the big takeaway for me. And it's not just the team, but it's Dylan showing that he truly should be considered part of the core this year. The one taker, the, the core for the future. The big takeaway for me this week is that Jaw against the Warriors, Dylan against the Suns, Jaron on his historic night against Milwaukee, and Brandon versus the Wizards. You have four games in which an individual from our core, including Dylan, took over. 
he showed that takeover ability, which is such a special quality to have. Now, I'm not saying that all these guys can take over each and every night. Ja probably has the most ability to do that. But the fact that those four guys can step up at any point in time and really be the difference maker on offense to lead us to a win, that is phenomenal. And it also shows that our floor as an offense is continuing to improve. The reason why? While each of those four had their signature game this week, Dylan supported that by scoring 17 or more points. In each and every game this week, he was the second highest score. So we now have a combination of players who were giving us 45 to 50 points a night, and that is a huge, huge boost for a young team. So that's my takeaway. It's not only that each of our each of the players that make up our future core, one of the most exciting cores in the NBA. They showed that they had the ability to take over a game if they need to, to lead us to victory. And not only that, you've got the support from Dylan, who's making it known and making a statement that he is someone to really make a part of this future core, and he's someone that can contribute to a potential playoff team. Speaking of the future, and speaking of, you know, looking, you know, to the future this year, making moves for the future, we're now past December 15th, Justin. How excited are you? I'm ready to see some stuff go down. <laughs> what we're referring to, obviously, is the trade. Is Now we have passed December 15th. What that means is, is as you saw from the flurry of offseason moves, you never can sit here and, and, and guarantee that a person is going to stay in one place for long if they're coveted. And, we're, of course, we're talking about the NBA you know, trade season, uh, typically between the middle of December to the middle of February. This year, the Grizzlies are going to be right in the mix of things, probably not to the extent that they were last year, obviously, with trading this all, but we still have some very desirable pieces. Justin, you have looked into you know the most talked about piece that obviously we have on the market, the one that we'll be speculating about the most, and that's Andre Iguodala. Now that we're past the 15th, what do you see happening on that market? How do you see it unfolding? So I believe the number that I saw was, um, as of today, 119 contracts become tradable. Um, I would assume that over the last month that teams have been evaluating their new pieces, evaluating the roster injuries that take place, those kind of deals, and that um, I would I'd be willing to bet that some teams have already had conversations about what guys become available on the 15th may be on the move. Um, so my question to you, Sean, is what is your priority in getting back a back in an Iggy return um, before I go into the possible deals that, that may be out there? Um, probably best draft pick possible. I, I really think that that is, is going to be um, the way that the Grizzlies can go. And the reason why I feel that that makes sense, it's likely going to be hard to get a, a, a um, intriguing to significant young player back for Iguodala. That's number one. And number two, I think that this front office has shown that not only can they acquire the assets, but they can turn those assets into productive players. So I think getting the best chance to get a productive player that the Grizzlies themselves can mold, I think that that should be the primary focus when it comes to Iggy. All right. So I, I would agree that that Kleiman probably wants a draft pick first. But the two teams that may come the hardest after Iguodala do not have attractive draft pieces to move. 
The first one is the Dallas Mavericks. They traded everything for Kristaps Porzingis, and right now it's paying off. Now they've got about two weeks without Luka um, due to his ankle turn last night. Um, he's got a moderate high ankle sprain, um, so they're going to have to tread water for a couple weeks, but I think they're going to be just fine. They are probably more than just an Eagle Dollar move away from, from being legit uh, contenders this year. Um, but they can make some noise in the playoffs because Luca is special. Kristaps is special. And then you get a, a veteran like Iggy who's been there and done it. Um, you, you may um, see Dallas knocking on the door. And so Dallas is going to have to offer Courtney Lee um, to, yeah. to match contract wise. Um, the best they could do draft pick wise is, is like two second round picks. Uh, you're going to be more likely to get a young player uh, like a, like a Justin Jackson uh, in return for that deal. And you can, you'll have a debate with some people on who you like more um, between Justin Jackson and getting back somebody like Seth Curry. Um, I'm in the boat that I would prefer Justin Jackson because he's younger. He's a big wing and he is shooting the ball very well this year. Um, so that's Dallas. The next team up is Miami. Um, they don't have a lot of draft picks to choose from either, uh, but they do have the contracts to match. And that's um, James Johnson. And I can't remember the other contract that they had. They've got one more guy that's uh, on a a big – oh, Deion Waiters is another contract. Nobody wants Deion Waiters. Um, But they they would move him um, and maybe like a a KZ Akpala, who they took in the 32nd pick um, last year, another uh, guy with a large wingspan, um, the the stretch four mold that everybody's looking for. Um, he's not getting a lot of run in Miami, uh, so that's kind of discouraging considering they've got Duncan Robinson and um, Kendrick Nunn and these other guys they've found off the street that are that are playing well. Um, but with those, you're not looking at uh, really that great of a return for your future. Justin Jackson is going to be an average role player. Um, Ogpala is is relatively unknown, and James Johnson has a player option that he's going to accept for 19 million. So you're stuck with him on the books again next year. Now, that may be a benefit as him, with him as an expiring in the trade deadline next year. But we're looking at um, perhaps my favorite deal being with Denver. Um, Denver is, we know, uh, a top three team in the West probably. Uh, they've kind of struggled out the gate because Jokic hasn't been himself. But they need a, a guy who's been there and done it. And they have a guy that they can send back as a young piece that the Grizzlies could sign and keep in Malik Beasley. Um, Beasley did not a contract extension with the Nuggets and will be looking to to get paid on the open market. Um, But they're not playing him. I don't know why they're not playing him, but he is not a priority for them this season with the return of Michael Porter Jr. Um, So he, he is probably expendable. The dude can play, and I think he may end up being more of a guarantee of a good piece for you than any late first-round draft pick that you're going to get from these teams because that's what you're going to get, whether it's the Clippers, the Lakers, the Nuggets, whoever comes calling with a first-round pick, it's going to be a late first-round pick uh, because these guys are going for the playoffs. Um, I think Malik Beasley could be the best piece we get back for Andre Iguodala. I think that's very fair, and that's why I definitely um, am encouraged. I would love for for Denver to be involved. Uh, But a couple of things uh, come to mind in in regards to that. You know, don't get me wrong. If we could get a Malik Beasley, I agree with you. 
I think that it it may be a stretch to say we could. I, I just I, I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, if, if I do feel there's a much more realistic chance, um, you know, than there there was obviously, you know, to begin the season because you know no one knew that he was going to be as irrelevant as he has been. So in that case, yeah, I agree with you. I would take Malik Beasley in a heartbeat over you know a couple of seconds or even you know a late first. But the flip side of this, Justin. Andre Iguodala was already traded, and he was traded to the Grizzlies. You name the top two most sensible trade destinations for him as being a fringe playoff team. I know they're in. I know they're in the playoff picture, but you know their title chances this year are, are likely slim to none. Same with Miami. Yeah, Miami may make the playoffs, but you know it's going to be hard for them to surpass Philly or, or Milwaukee. Andre Iguodala has already had no problem sitting out with the Grizzlies. What makes you think, you know, this time around, do you feel that he could threaten not to report if he's traded to a destination that is he that he does not prefer? And do you feel that that has an impact on the Grizzlies' approach with how and where they trade? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, it could. I, I think you're a little low on Miami um, than Maybe some of us are. I think Miami has a legit chance to, to be better than Philly. Um, Milwaukee's obviously just blowing everybody out. Um, but I think Miami has a real good shot to at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, Fair enough. And then Dallas, yeah, I, I don't know that Iggy would be all for going there. Um, but this is a league of the duos, and you're going to be hard-pressed to find a better duo than, than Luca and Kristaps in the playoffs. I mean, obviously, there's LeBron and, and AD have been phenomenal. Um, but I, Lakers don't have anything to trade us. There's nothing of any desire for us with, with LA. Um, they got Kuzma. They want to send Kuzma. But I don't know if I want Kuzma with this roster. Um, I don't. I would love. I loved Kuzma last year, but I've been, for some reason, I think Kuzma last year is what he is. Um, do I don't see social media. Do you know the social media empire that we would create here between Morant Jackson Jr. and Kuzma? Justin, you do not deny Memphis that opportunity. <laughs> um, I, I think I think the Clippers could put together an interesting package um, mm-hmm. with with the possibility of Shamit or um, Jerome Robinson. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they could can make a play. But I don't. I don't know how much. Obviously, if Iguodala comes out and is like, you know what? No, I don't want to go there. Uh, so I, if you trade me there, I'm not going to play. Then yeah, that deal's going to be shut down because they're not going to give up something for a guy that's not going to come play for them. Um, the other thing to look for that may make this all crazy is some team positioning themselves for a free agent next year and want to get his expiring contract and they just go and buy him out, and then he gets to go to the Lakers on that end. I don't know what team that is because I haven't looked at everybody's cap situation and then the the free agents that may be interested in them. Um, but he could be a possible, hey, we're just going to take him as an expiring, buy him out, and let him go where he wants to go. That's fair enough. At the end of the day, I think that he is traded to one of the L.A. teams. And also at the end of the day, with you've already gotten a first-round pick by taking him on, I I don't think that the Grizzlies need to just – Bring this out for you know 
every last strip of value that they can. I have no problem with that approach, but I think that they would be smart to where, you know, if they can make it work to send him to a place that he will report, I think that you take what you can get. If that's a Shamit, if that's a Robinson, if that's a Beasley, you call that a win, take the rest of the season to see what they can do and move on. And the thing for the Grizzlies that I would suggest, I know they've got two months to take their time, but I really would put some emphasis on seeing if you could move the needle quickly because that just gives you more time to get the deal that you want. Um, you know, especially if it's a young player, you get more time to monitor him and, you know, see what he could do with your core. But the thing about it, Justin, is that Iguodala, yes, he is the main guy that's going to be talked about. But there's a few other guys that, you know, I really think could, um, you know, be discussed. In all honesty, you know, in the right deal, if, if, if it, besides the four that I mentioned earlier, Brooks, Morant, Clark, and uh, Jackson Jr., I think anybody else is, is expendable. I think anybody else could be had in the trade in the right scenario. So I'm going to throw out a couple of names here and just give us a, a brief idea of what you think could happen at the trade deadline. And let's start with Solomon Hill. Um, Solomon Hill, I know he's been playing well, but I just see Solomon Hill as like Shelvin Mack. Like I just yes. – I think he's going to play well for a stretch, and then there's a reason that nobody wanted this dude. Like, at some point, he's going to fall off. Um, so I could see a team um, needing some depth in the playoffs, uh, just taking a flyer on him to, to be a, a, an older guy that can come in and do what he does. Or I could see him going as an expiring, um, which is the reason that we got him, is, is that we could ship him out as an expiring at some point. Um, I have no idea who would take Solomon Hill outside of the expiring, but if he keeps playing the way that he is, he is boosting his trade value and therefore helping the Grizzlies out. Um, there's, I, I don't think there's a good chance that he finishes the season with the team. Yeah, he. I think he's a, he's a lower version of Justin Holiday. Um, and you know we saw what happened last year with that deal. I do think that um, he is probably the best example of how Taylor Jenkins has impacted this team positively. You know, with his three point shooting coming out of nowhere. So, um, yeah, I think that he could be um, attractive. But I agree with you. I don't. I just in the end, I think that we wind up keeping him uh, through the end of the season, or maybe buying him out. Uh, Justin, another name to potentially look at: Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, it's crazy to think that we just signed him to a three-year deal and, and he could be mentioned um, in in trade talks. But I, I do think it's a possibility. You know, Parker Fleming uh, mentioned that there were a couple of scouts um, at the last Grizzly game. Um, and one of those teams being the Chicago Bulls, um, I, I could see that as a destination for Valanciunas. Uh, they'd marketing wants out and I believe they they may be interested in parting with marketing and I don't think marketing is turned back on a Valentinus deal but what I'm saying is that makes room for Valentinus and Wendell Carter to, to coexist um, if you play Carter at the four you know it's at the five or that's just if it's Chicago other places um, I, I don't really know what other teams that are contending uh, and have the contracts to move and the, and the need for his position off the top of my head, the Lakers don't need him. Um, the Clippers, I don't think he fits with what no. they're doing. Um, I, I, I've seen that a uh, a trade back to Toronto is possible, um, but I, I don't. I think Jonas ends up staying on the team unless there's some big deal that 
contracts are involved um, come into play, and they need to add his contract to Iguodala's to to make something happen. Uh, something crazy like um, Portland wants to get rid of Hassan Whiteside because Nurk is coming back, and they sent Iggy and and Jonas to Portland, and we take back uh, Whiteside. You know, something like that would be the only scenario that I see him going anywhere. And Nasir Little and Anthony Simmons. That's that's how that works. That's a joke. I'm kidding. Um, I do think. <laughs> I do think you're right, though. I think that Valanciunas maybe next year becomes more likely, um, but but overall, I do agree um, that uh, that that he probably is staying uh, this this year. Interesting name here, and I think that he could be a throw-in in the right situation if it makes sense. Though it you know it it's hard to really see if there's any value. Grayson Allen, Justin. Yeah, he would definitely be a throw-in uh, to make some money match, or you know maybe. With us and an Iggy, they're sending us back a pretty decent, you know, young piece, and they want something else more than Iggy in return. Um, but but I, I think I think the Grizzlies like Grayson. Uh, they like what he what he does. Um, so he would he would only go as like, hey, we need we need three mil uh, to make this work. You know, we're getting a good piece back. Here's here's Grayson. Ultimately, I believe that he'll stay with us too. And the final one that, and, and, and you know, after this one, we'll see if you have anybody else. But the final one that I find most intriguing that the I think the Grizzlies should um, uh, listen to. I think that this guy is a lot like Garrett Temple last year, where the Grizzlies would love to keep him in the right situation. But does he fit long term? Um, I think that you know his game would be more of a reduced role in what the Grizzlies have, you know, as a vision long term. But talking about Jay Crowder and you, you know, it seems like you saw some interesting things here recently. Jay Crowder and, and his potential, you know, as a trade asset for the Grizzlies. Again, this is a shout out to Parker Fleming because he pointed this out. Um, is it a coincidence that Jay Crowder was out with a sore ankle the day before? Um, the contracts start becoming tradable. Um, I, that's that is a it's a theory. It could be way wrong, but I think there there could be some legitimacy to it. Like I think Jay Crowder is definitely gone. Um, I would love for him to be a part of Memphis as a as a veteran uh, guy who who plays the way that he does. Um, I'm sure he's loving this green light that he's getting from three point land because he jacks them up left and right. Um, but I, I, there is going to be a contender because his contract is so tradable. Um, there will 100% be a contender coming at Jay Crowder, no doubt. And there's a reason why he's been on playoff teams, you know, for several of the past, you know, over the you know, the past several seasons. You know, he's a valuable member. I don't necessarily know if he's a starter, but he's a valuable member for sure. And the big thing about Jay Crowder, if he's traded, you then have a clear spot open for another Memphis Grizzly, who everybody is waiting to see, despite recent a recent setback, of course, that's uh, Josh Jackson, obviously. Justin, as we wrap up this edition of the 3 and D podcast, any other trade candidates that you see? And, and do you see the Grizzlies going in another direction with trades besides just trying to gain as much future assets as possible? Don, you're not going to like this, but I think Dylan Brooks is a trade candidate. Um <sighs> He is he is showcasing that he is a a an elite um, role player. He is a guy that you can come off your bench and you just get buckets for you. Uh, something that is very valuable in this league. Um, and I believe that they showed it last year. The teams are interested in Dylan Brooks and teams want Dylan Brooks. 
Um, still hurts me a little bit to watch Kelly Oubre ball out, um, but Dylan at some nights makes us forget about that. Um, but I, I, I believe that there will be many phone calls from Dylan Brooks, and I don't think he's as untouchable as you think he is. I don't necessarily think he's untouchable. I think that the Grizzlies need to focus. I think, though, that the Grizzlies have every right to hold the, him to a standard where someone has to offer a deal that they can't say no to. That's my philosophy on Dylan Brooks. I get he's tradable, but what's he tradable for? A late first? In his situation, it would be hard to find a late first who can turn into what he is. The Grizzlies' biggest weakness is perimeter scoring. We get that consistently from him every night. I don't think that he's a starting two-guard on a championship team. I think that he is an excellent instant offense bench option that you see a lot of these teams that make deep runs in the playoffs have. I think that the Grizzlies should put emphasis on that. And I think that he is a big part of our future and he continues to show that on a nightly basis. So I agree with you. I think that it makes sense in the right scenario for him to be traded, but it's got to be, it's no longer a scenario where last year when we were trying to acquire Ubre. The player we were trying to acquire in Ubre, I feel like Dylan is to that level of player. Ubre is better, but I feel Dylan himself is to that level of player. So if we want to use Dylan as a trade candidate, make sure perhaps that it's as part of a package to get a step above him, like a starting two guard that you really could feature. I think that's how you trade Dylan Brooks. It's no longer trying to acquire a role player because that's what Dylan Brooks is now. I think that if you trade Dylan Brooks, you either need to trade him for just an asset package that you can't say no to or make him part of a package to get a desirable piece for your future. Does that make sense? Is that reasonable? Yeah, I think the most likely package that's going to happen with him is not going to be one that's better than him. It's going to be another asset building package that at some point we're going to use to flip and get um, that starter that we need on the wing. Okay, that that's fair enough. The move to to go like we did during the summer, making moves to make more moves. I get your point. Now that is a very smart approach. Like I say, it it it. it, I just I think it's fun right now, And, and I know that you can't put too much value in it. But I really do think that Dylan could be a nice addition to this to the 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 Clark Morant Jackson Jr. core as we go on, but. If this front office has shown one thing, is that if they can make a move and get assets that they can't say no to for Brooks, I do agree with you. At some point, it just gives you more of an asset pool to consolidate into a true difference maker in the future. Justin, do you have anything else to add before we head out for the evening? I'm going to add this about Dylan Brooks. The reason I would be okay with trading Dylan Brooks is because that dude does not pass. And it's a if he remains a starter with this group, takes away touches from guys that need touches over him. I get it that he scores. Um, you know, when he when we win, he scores 20 points in a game or whatever, but he's not that efficient. And Jaw and Jaron and Brandon and, and even Jonas need to, need to be getting touches. Um, and sometimes Dylan gets in, in that Mamba mentality where uh, I'm going to shoot, and if I ain't making it, I'm still going to shoot. Um, I, I think we we don't need him to be a feature guy. Now, if we can find a starter and keep Dylan and let him be that that you know spark plug off the bench where we come in like, hey, all right, have at it, you know, go go get your go get yours. 
um, we don't need him getting his in the starting lineup. Agreed. And, and I think that that may be the determining factor for your philosophy on him being traded. Perhaps we can get for Brooks, or per, perhaps what we think we can get for Brooks, we may be able to get by trading Crowder and Iguodala to then add to a package in the future to go get a starter in front of Brooks. I think that's another way around, you know, being able to keep him. But I agree with you. I, I don't see – my, my excitement for Brooks is not because I feel he should be a starter. I don't feel that he is a starter on a true title contender. I do feel like he could play a significant role on a bench that is on a true title contender, and I think that he has shown time and time again he is a true difference maker when he does have the green light, and that would especially be effective in second units where he can just light it up. And if he does not on a certain night, you can certainly minimize you know his impact on the game. For Justin Lewis, my name is Sean Coleman. We thank you so much for enjoying this edition of the 3ND Podcast. We obviously will be right back with you next week, obviously our Christmas edition. One thing that we'll look to do is me and Justin will put together a Christmas wish list for the rest of the season for the Grizzlies. For Sean Coleman, Justin Lewis, thanks so much for joining us on the 3ND Podcast. 